0: Hi everybody, thank you so much for checking out our podcast. If you'd like to know more about us or connect with us, then please do go to our church website and we would love to get to know you some more. Here's today's message. We hope it blesses you, encourages and inspires you. Today we are going to be turning to two passages of scripture um, from the beginning and from the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Picking up from where Mike left off in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. And then we'll jump to Matthew 22 and uh, listen to some of Jesus' words there. But let's uh, um, pray and then we'll listen to God's word together and think about what God might be saying to us this morning. Father God, we thank you that on this bright, sunny uh, spring morning, we can gather together in the light of your love for us. And Lord, as we gather together around your word now, Lord, we pray that your, the light of your love would shine into our hearts, shine into our minds. And as your light shines within us, Lord, we pray that we would be a beacon of your love to all those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43, and this is what Jesus says. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your people, or your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then jumping down to Matthew 22, starting at verse 34. Again, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I don't know about you, but loving your neighbor sounds like a lovely picturesque thing to be able to do to my mind it conjures up images of street parties kids running around together in the sun sharing food together and being good neighbors um, as a tv show once said Um, recently though i went to a football match between two local rivals and uh, i can assure you that when it comes to being good neighbors football fans have something to learn um, they were not being particularly neighbourly to one another. One of the teams spent more time slagging off one of their other local rivals who wasn't even at the game uh, than they did cheering on their own team. And then when one team won the game, those who lost weren't particularly joyful that their neighbours had succeeded and had done so well uh, in the game and those who would won the game, well let's just say they weren't particularly humble and grateful for the good efforts the other team had put in. Instead there was all sorts of abuse being hurled all over the place and the football fans were not being particularly loving and compassionate to one another. Loving your neighbour often sounds wonderful until you think about who your neighbors are. Um, Jesus, though, is clear in this passage that we've read together. We all have a responsibility to love our neighbors. And when Jesus says neighbors, he doesn't mean just the people next door. He means this in the broadest possible sense, as we'll come on to over the next few weeks. But the religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to didn't doubt this rule of loving your neighbors as you love yourselves. But the Jewish leaders that Jesus was speaking to recognized that realistically, loving your neighbors um, was okay. But loving your enemies, no one can do that. Who could possibly uh, love those people that are just so difficult to love? So instead there'd been this new phase developed that Jesus himself quotes back to the religious leaders you've heard it said he says love your neighbor and hate your enemy but Jesus had no kind or, or no time for this kind of philosophy and for this distortion of what God expected from his people Over the last few weeks and months, we've been looking together a lot as a church about the God who is love. Jesus came to reveal the God of love amongst us. There are no limits to his love. So over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time thinking about what it looks like for for us to love our neighbors, to love those in our community. How can we be a church that takes the love of God out into the neighbourhoods? What can we learn from Jesus about how we can follow his example of loving our neighbours? And today we're going to start with arguably the hardest part, loving our enemies. So let's look at these passages together and see how we can love our enemies as we seek to love our neighbours today. And first of all, I want to start really simply. And the first way that we can simply love our neighbors and love our enemies is to pray for them. Jesus, these words come straight out of Jesus' mouth. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just tell us to do this, but he leads us, he's shown us an example of how to do this. We've just celebrated Easter, and as we, if, if you were with us on Good Friday, we will have heard and remembered that as Jesus was nailed and hanging on the cross, he didn't ask for justice. He didn't tell people how evil and how wrong they were. He didn't say how much he hated them for what they were doing, but instead he prayed for them. He prayed saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. But what difference does praying for our enemies really make? Surely it's just a token gesture. Praying acknowledges our love and our concern for our enemies. We pray, we can pray, that they would see the consequences of their destructive actions. We can pray that they would recognize the hurt and the pain that they are causing. We can pray that the dubious areas of their character would be transformed and improved by God's power in them. We uh, We pray for our enemies, not just because it makes our lives easier, but because we are genuinely, wholeheartedly concerned for them. We're concerned for them to be the people that God has created them for to be, for them to live in the love and the goodness of God as they were created to do so. Praying also creates space for God to work. As we pray for our enemies, it gives God the space to heal our hurts. It gives us the opportunity to see not just from our perspective, but to see from God's perspective. I've already said those words of Jesus on the cross, but just take a moment to realize how staggering that, that, w- those words of Jesus on the cross were. He said and uh, prayed, they don't know what they are doing. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As he prayed, Jesus saw a different perspective. He didn't see all the faults and all the issues and all the problems with the people who just nailed him to a cross, but instead he saw their innocence, recognizing that they didn't realize what it was that they were doing. Praying for our enemies recognizes the need for God's intervention. No one's aim in life is to have enemies, to go out and get as many enemies as I can. Uh, There are very few people, certainly I've never met anyone, who's had that as an aim in life. But in the brokenness of our world, relationships break down. People are hurt by other people. People are used and abused. And these broken relationships are not easily healed. It's because of this that loving our enemies is so difficult and why prayer is so important. We can't love enemies, our enemies in our own strength alone. We need to pray that God would enable us to love our enemies even when we don't want to love them ourselves. Prayer is an essential part of loving our enemies. As we pray, we entrust our enemies to God. Prayer is a way of loving those who we really struggle to love. This morning, can I ask you, who do you not want to pray for? Who is on your prayer list It can be so easy and so comfortable to spend our time praying for our friends, our family, even our church today. But do you pray for the office bully? Do you pray for that parent in the playground who's just really, really difficult? Do you pray for the neighbor who has more ASBOs than you care to count? Uh, Do you pray for Vladimir Putin? Do you pray for your enemies? Prayer is powerful. It has the power to change our enemies. It has the power to change us. So let's pray for our neighbors and let's pray for our enemies. And as we pray, we've already seen how prayer can change the way that we see the world. And one of the things that prayer enables us to see is that God doesn't have any favorites. God loves me, and he loves you the same. Regardless of what you've done, right? Regardless of whether you think you deserve it or not, God loves you the same. Listen again to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is good, All the time, God is good. It's one of the mantras we've been saying over the last few months. You're falling asleep, so we're going to say it again. God is good all the time. God is good. And he does not hide his goodness from us because some of us deserve it a little more than others. Regardless of whether you are good or whether you are bad, whether you're in God's good camp or in your good camp or on the the naughty list, uh, the sun will still rise, giving light that we need to live by. Regardless of whether you are good or bad, God continues to send the rain that sustains our lives. God doesn't have favorites. He loves us all. It can be so easy to think that, we follow, that when we follow Jesus, we get some kind of preferential treatment Uh, But Jesus wants to challenge this kind of religious superiority. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, Israel had been blessed to be God's chosen people. They'd had the privilege of having a particularly special relationship with God. Uh, But the Jewish leaders had fallen into the trap that thinking uh, as God's chosen people, they were in some way superior to everyone else and that therefore as God's favorite, everyone else just needed to get in line behind them because they were God's favorites. But this is a total misunderstanding of why God chose Israel to be his people. Yes, being chosen by God was a huge honor, a huge privilege, a huge blessing. But they were not God's favorites. God had chosen Israel to be his people that they might be a blessing to all people, to all nations. God loves us and he loves all our neighbors the same. Some people have been chosen by God and encountered his goodness and been drawn into his goodness. Others have turned away from God. They've turned away from his goodness and can so easily be seen as our enemies. God doesn't have favorites. His heart is to bless all people We just have the privilege as being people who are loved by God and know God's love for us, as God uh, of being the source of his blessing to those who have not yet encountered God's love and God's goodness for themselves. God is not in the business of dishing out sanctions to his enemies. Uh, We're hearing a lot about sanctions in the news over the last few weeks and months, Um, And it's very easy to think that God's the same, that when people are bad to God or turn away from God, that he sanctions them. And don't get me wrong, there are consequences for our actions. But just because someone has done this doesn't mean to say that God is going to punish them for it. Just because those people... We can often think that because those people have prioritized wealth above God, God will sanction them. Or that nation has caused uproar around the world, and therefore God will sanction them. God loves them. God doesn't have favorites. He wants to bless all his people, not sanction them. Yes, there are consequences for our actions. But no matter how good we are, no matter how bad we are, the sun will still rise and shine upon us. The rain will still fall and provide for our needs. So let's lay down our pride if we are to love our neighbors. We have the privilege of knowing Jesus. We have the privilege of sharing his blessing in the world around us. But that does does not mean that God is sanctioning our enemies. He wants to love them, to bless them, that they too might know more of his goodness and love. And this can so easily transform the way that we see our enemies and create space for God's transformation to take hold again. Let me tell you a story of a man called Paul Paul. Cowley. Paul was brought up in one of the roughest estates in the country. He lived on the streets, he joined a gang, he ended up in prison. Following his release, he joined the army. Um, During his time in the army, he got married twice. Both marriages ended in divorce. Life was far from good for Paul, and I'm sure there are plenty of people around him who saw him as his enemy. Paul had made plenty of bad decisions. Life was far from good for him and for the people around him. But God transformed Paul's life. One day he went and he did an alpha course. And having done the alpha course, he encountered Jesus. And ever since, the blessing of God has been revealed in Paul's life. He started a prison ministry that more people might be able to know the wonder of God's love and goodness just as he has known. And that prison ministry now operates in 76 different countries around the world. He's been ordained as an Anglican priest and who can count the number of people who have been blessed by who could very easily have been seen? as someone who was one of God's enemies, yet alone maybe even one of our enemies. Take a moment to think about this. Our greatest enemies are just one encounter away uh, with Jesus from having their life totally transformed. God doesn't have favorites. He is good and wants to bless all people, even our enemies, And loving our enemies not only involves recognizing that God doesn't have favorites, but when we recognize that God doesn't have favorites, it encourages us to expand our boundaries. It's very easy to love the people we want to love. Everyone does that, as Jesus says in this passage. The finance manager finds it easy to love the head, the head of HR, The white middle-class businessman finds it easy to love the white middle-class businessman. There's nothing distinctive about that. That's how our world shows love to one another, that like-minded people gather together. But what is even more impressive is the finance director, who expands his boundaries and loves the office cleaner as if he were the CEO. What's more impressive is the middle-class businessman who gives their time for the refugee from another part of the world and loves them and supports them despite the differences that they have. What's more impressive is the office worker who loves the person that everyone else can't tolerate, not because they find them any easier, but because they want to expand their boundaries and show them love. Loving our enemies means that we need to be distinctive as Jesus' followers today. Loving those who love you, Jesus says, even the tax collectors, the most selfish, despised people of the day, well, they can do that. Greeting the people that you know, being hospitable to the people you know and you like, well, even the pagans do that, Jesus says. If we are to love our enemies... We need to expand our boundaries. When we talk about our enemies, there's so easily a divide that's built up between us. But removing that divide, expanding our boundaries, drawing close to those who we would otherwise have nothing to do with and and spending time with them enables us to often see that maybe we're not so different as we thought we once were. enables us to see and understand even our enemies in a whole new light. If you want to love your enemies and love your neighbors today, can I please encourage you to expand your tribe? Don't just hang around with the same people time and time again, but be keen to welcome new people in. Be deliberate in maybe pushing yourself and trying to spend time with people who you wouldn't find as easy as you usually would do. Where there are people you don't know or don't even like, don't withdraw from them, but instead draw near to them. Not only will you learn more about them, not only will you bless them with your companionship and your love, but you'll also see that your relationship with them is transformed as you start to love your enemies, And finally, and most importantly of all, if we're going to love our neighbors, if we're going to love our enemies, we need to start by encountering God's grace. Just jump back to Matthew 22, uh, the second passage that we read together this morning, where Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds so good, doesn't it? It sounds so simple, and yet let me let you into, an, into a, a secret this morning. It sounds so good, but it's also impossible. No one has ever loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. I can assure you even the most devout Christians here today, even the most devout Christians throughout all of history will recognize that there has been times where they have struggled to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. I'm a minister of a church. Apparently, some people think that might mean I'm holy or something like that. Uh, Sometimes, I confess, I am more interested in what I'm going to eat next than honouring God uh, in that moment. Sometimes I get distracted by what I'm watching on Netflix instead of thinking about what is going to honour God in that moment. Sometimes it's just easier for me to do what I want to do rather than for me to do what God wants to do. Likewise, no one has ever loved their neighbour as they love themselves. Even the most wonderfully, generously uh, neighbor will always have a time where they will think of their own interests above of the person next door. There is something within us as humanity that we are naturally wired to be selfish, to to look after ourselves before we look after others. What this shows us is that while we think our enemies are bad, we are actually not that great ourselves. We have fallen short of the standards that God has set for us. As Romans 8 tells us, though, whilst we were still sinners, we, Christ, died for us. God is good, and in our brokenness, whilst we were sinners, whilst we were still enemies of God. Christ died for us. We stand today in the grace of God, and that same grace applies to our enemies. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, the word he uses for love is agape, it's a kind of love that is selfless. It has no benefit for us. It is just lavished upon the recipient. There is a one, it is only good for them. Love that is given solely for the good of the other. It's the kind of good that we received. God loved us, not because we'd done anything to give back to God, but just because God wants to lavish his love upon us. This agape love is the love that Jesus has shown to us all, love that was selfless, totally undeserved. Not one of us here today deserves to be loved by God. Yet he selflessly gave his love for us. And it is this kind of love that Jesus wants us to show to our enemies. Loving our enemies might not be a blessing to us. But we stand this morning in the grace of God. And we have been called to imitate the love that Jesus has shown to us, to those around us. To love our enemies, we need to love in the grace of Jesus' love for us. Loving your neighbour is easy if you like your neighbor. Loving your ne- your enemy is impossible. But in reality loving your neighbor is impossible without the grace and the love of Jesus. We can love our enemies by praying for them, by recognizing that we are all made in the image of God, that there is more that unites us than divides us. We can love Our enemies by baking down boundaries that God's love might shine through. But throughout it all, to love our enemies, we must first encounter the love and grace that Jesus has shown to us. And as we encounter his grace, we are tasked with loving our neighbors and revealing his love and grace to all those around us. And that includes our enemies. Let's pray. Lord God, as we gather together this morning, we first of all think of your love and grace that you have showered upon us. That whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still far from you, whilst we were still your enemies, Jesus died for us that we might know the wonder of your love. And so, Lord God, in the quiet, we take a moment to think of those whom you love around us. We think of our neighbors. And, Lord, this morning, we particularly think of our enemies. And, Lord, we pray that through us you would bless them this morning. Lord, we pray that they too might be able to have an encounter with Jesus that has transform, that would, could transform their life in the same way that it did with Paul Cowley. Lord, we pray that we will continue to see the wonder of your love breaking through into our world. Even into the lives of our enemy. But Lord, for us all this morning, may you help us again to encounter the grace and love that you have revealed for, to us in Jesus. And as we encounter that love and that grace, Lord, may it form the bedrock of our lives that all those around us might also see and know the love and grace that you have for them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.